The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All in Other Lies, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them. Because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I'm excited to share an all new episode with you today. I'm also excited that Christmas break is finally upon us. I think we can all agree that this has been the longest, weirdest year of our lives. But at the same time, I have no idea how it's already December. These are insane, weird times, and I can't wait to take some downtime and reflect and try to wrap my head around it all. I feel like I've been treading water since March, and I'm excited to take a minute, absorb, check out. We will be dark next week. I'm wishing everybody a healthy, safe, and wonderful holiday. Okay, so what's been getting me through it this week? I discovered the show I May Destroy You, which is written, directed, and acted in by the brilliant Michaela Cole. This woman is a genius and this show is about the idea around consent and I ripped through it in a week and I wish I had more episodes to watch, but alas, the season is over. I've tried to reach for a daily meditation book that I have in the morning rather than reaching for my phone. Sometimes it happens, others it doesn't and that's okay. It's called Journey to the Heart and it is described as daily meditations on the path to freeing your soul. Look, I don't know that I'm freeing my soul, but I do know that starting the day with an intention is more productive for me than scrolling aimlessly on my Instagram. So I will take whatever I can get. I actually started in an Amazon store so that I could share some of the things that I talk about and, you know, home and beauty or fashion or books so that I could share my picks with you guys. And I'm going to include this book as well so that you can order it too if you're interested. All right, today's guest is an author of a beautiful collection of poems and illustrations titled The Sky Cracked Open, named Lauren Malosky First. She is a mother of two young children, recently married and battling cystic fibrosis. As she was waiting for a double lung transplant, let that sink in, she penned 65 poems, which is a nod to the nickname of 65 Roses that I guess one of the kids who had cystic fibrosis, who didn't know how to pronounce it, referred to it as 65 Roses. So that's really sweet. A portion of the proceeds from the book sales are donated to Finding a Cure. She's been practicing shelter at home long before COVID-19 came around, and this new disease is feared to be the most detrimental to her health, specifically if contracted. Through it all, Lauren managed to stay positive, creating a fun and loving home for her husband and children. And this book is a testament to her love and nightly routine of the poetry readings that she would have with her kids, which is so sweet. Talking to her was such a treat, and it was a reminder of the boundless and optimistic spirit that humans can have, even in the face of crazy and terrifying challenges. And the best news is that during the time that we'd been in touch scheduling her to come on this podcast, she actually found a match and received a double lung transplant after already being away from her family and alone in the hospital during COVID for months by herself, which puts a lot into perspective. So I hope you enjoy and find her story as inspiring as I did. Without further ado, here is this week's episode. Hi, 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 Lauren. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm actually doing really well. I'm so happy to be home. It has been a little over five weeks since my double lung transplant. Prior to that, I was in the hospital for three and a half months I had a pneumothorax, which is a collapsed lung. Technically, it was like a little hole in my lung. And due to the scarring and severity of my disease, the hole would not heal. And so I couldn't go home. So I had to stay in the hospital until I got a match. So I had been listed 
for my lung transplant for, at that time, nine months. So when I finally got my call that there had been, that there was a match, it was almost a year that I had been on the uh, wait list for a double lung transplant. So I have two kids. My son just turned 12. My daughter turned nine while I was in the hospital, which was very difficult. We made the most of it, but, you know, being in the hospital for any amount of time, especially three and a half months with two kids at home was very hard. (laughs) I can't imagine. Yeah. During the pandemic, which made it so much harder because they weren't allowed to visit in the room the way we used to. Obviously I've, I've been hospitalized many times and when I'm hospitalized, usually it's just for like a week or two and then I can go home and finish IV antibiotics at home, but they can come and they can visit and they can be in the room and we can still have our time together. And because of COVID, they weren't, nobody's allowed in the hospital. Luckily, my husband was allowed to stay with me. At the beginning of the pandemic, he would not have been allowed to. I did actually have a hospitalization and I was there for over a week by myself. So thankfully, at least this time, he was allowed to be with me. But so the kids would come almost every day, but at the beginning, they weren't. So it was like once a week, they were coming and we'd have to visit outside for an hour and that was it. And it was really difficult. It was probably the darkest time of my life, you know, just waiting, hoping to have a match soon, but also praying for something like that is, it's really severe. You know, you hope for the best. Luckily, I was at an amazing hospital. UCLA is incredible with their transplants. I have an amazing team of doctors. So I had a lot of confidence in them, but still it was every day just praying to get a match soon so that that nightmare could be over. Right. And and what you're experiencing obviously is so extreme and so severe. And for everyone who is listening today, obviously there is so much in terms of hospitalizations mm-hmm. and even reference to your lungs since right now we're going through the COVID pandemic. But tell us a little bit about the condition that you were born with as this obviously superseded everything that's going on right now. So it just, I imagine, was even more heightened, obviously, for you to be in a hospital with a pre-existing lung condition during the period of time where everybody with any sort of immune deficiency is on major high alert. Right. So I was born with cystic fibrosis. I was diagnosed formally at two weeks, but really at like three days old, I had life-saving surgery. And I have an older sister and she does not have CF. And so nobody in my family had ever heard of it. And it was a fairly newly diagnosed disease at that time. Um, There wasn't a lot of statistics on it. And what was out there was pretty grim. The doctors told my parents that I wasn't going to live very long. I wouldn't, you know, live to, you know, be an adolescent. And that it was just basically don't get too attached to your daughter. And I just got older and older. And thankfully, growing up, I didn't have a lot of severe symptoms. And I was able to live a fairly normal life. I, the first time I was hospitalized, I was 16, which in the world of cystic fibrosis is huge. A lot of- And much longer than they anticipated you even living, correct? Exactly. Backing up, Lauren, what is cystic fibrosis exactly? Because I think that there's so many people who don't actually even know. And like you said, there was sort of murky information at best. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it's something that people are super familiar with. So cystic fibrosis is a respiratory and digestive disorder. It's a genetic disorder that causes a lot of secretions to build up in the lungs, which leads to scarring and lung loss. And primarily it is a respiratory disease and digestive, but it actually affects pretty much everything. People develop diabetes from it. It's just sort of a very difficult disease, especially to navigate, especially because over time, you can develop resistance to the antibiotics that treat the infections that just sort of colonize in your lungs. And once you go through those antibiotics and there's nothing left, you know, there's really not much that you can do. And that's where you end up needing a lung transplant. Did you have a a lung transplant when you said that you had a life-saving surgery at two weeks? Was that a trans? No, no. No, Sorry, because you actually just had your transplant. No. So what was that surgery? I had a digestive surgery. And that's a big indicator of cystic fibrosis. Got it. But yeah, I didn't have respiratory uh, symptoms for probably like the first 15 or 16 years of my life. 
I just had some stomach issues and they were really, it was, it was treatable. It was easy to, to handle. And like I said, I was, I feel really fortunate because I was able to live a normal childhood. I had to take enzymes every time I ate. So, you know, at school, that was maybe like the one thing that made me feel different. But other than that, I, I wasn't in the hospital. A lot of people have their first transplants when they are teenagers. So I feel mm-hmm. really lucky that I wasn't in the hospital that much. And then even after my first hospitalization, it was maybe like once a year, once every two years, they call them tune-ups and you just go in. And it was sort of around that age, 15 or 16, where my symptoms sort of switched. And I did develop, I started developing my first respiratory symptoms and problems and my stomach actually got better. And so people with cystic fibrosis develop what they call the CF cough. And it's just a chronic cough that it's always there. And I was really private about my disease for so many years. I just didn't want it to define me. I didn't want it to speak for me before I ever spoke like, oh, Lauren, and she has CF. I wanted it to be the other way around. You know, I just, there's so much more to people who have any disease, you know, it doesn't need to define people. Of course. But cystic fibrosis is definitely sort of an invisible illness until people start requiring oxygen or they're hospitalized all the time, which is where I I ended up. One of the things that we ask people and we like to discuss is obviously that we get to design the type of life that we think is going to to suit us, not the other way around. And whether that's career-based, family-wise, et cetera. And I know that you mentioned that the doctors said to your parents or to your mother early upon your birth, not to get too attached, which I can't imagine that there's a sharper dagger to give a new mother ever. Mm -hmm. But did you grow up knowing or feeling that time was limited for you in some way? Or was that something that they Mm -hmm. had shared with you? Or is that something you know now? As I got a little older, I felt that. But when I was younger, no, I remember being really little and I couldn't wait to be a mom. I knew I was going to, I was going to have children and I couldn't wait. It was something that I was the most excited about. Probably when I got to be late teens, early, early twenties, because I did have my son, I was 24 when I had him. I wanted to have my children early or young because I didn't know what I would be like Mm -hmm. later. And so I'm really grateful that I had them when I did. I was really healthy when I had them. And I had many years with them prior to the last two or three, I would say, where I was so active and got to do all the things I wanted to do with them. And we traveled and we played and we did everything. And, you know, even things around the house that got to be too difficult for me in the last couple of years. I'm so grateful that I had a lot of years with them before, you know, I started to really decline. And yeah, like the last two or three years, it just got really, really difficult. And especially the last eight months to 12 months, it was just, I was on oxygen 24 hours a day and hospitalized all the time and doing IV antibiotics at home. And, you know, they saw all of that and they've witnessed some pretty horrific things that, you know, kids shouldn't have to see. And they handled it and still handle everything so amazingly that I'm just sort of in awe of them. And what they just went through with us being gone for as long as we were and them knowing what I was facing and that, you know, the end result was I needed a transplant. They are so strong and I'm just, I'm so proud of them for how they handle everything. And, you know, they're my biggest protectors and they look out for me and I'm always like, you know, that's my job, but they're just, they're incredible. And I'm just, I I really am honored and very proud to be their mom. Yeah, I'm sure. So growing up for you, you knew definitively that you wanted to be a mom and that mm-hmm. that was something that was really important to you. Mm-hmm. Did you have a notion, and I know it's obviously tempered by the fact that you have a health issue that might prevent your ability to do certain things. Did you have an idea of for your life, what having it all would look like to you? I didn't. I just, I think that the biggest thing was, yeah, I wanted to be a mom. I love homemaking and things around the house and cooking and I, in fashion, I mean, some of my earliest memories are playing in my mom's closet and dressing up. I mean, I've been obsessed with fashion for my entire life. And, you know, I had a clothing line many years ago. So I just, I love being creative. And so I just, I don't know what having it all means, except that 
right now to me, it's, you know, my health and being able to be home with my family and enjoy life and not be scared and worried every second and every minute. I'm just so grateful for so much right now. So when I was younger, I just, you know, wanted that. I really wanted my focus to be about family. Mm-hmm. And then as I got a little bit older, I I wanted to to do something in fashion. And then, you know, recently it sort of verged into the book that I wrote, which I've been writing poetry for forever, just for fun to my kids and to family. And every night with my kids, when we would, I would put them to bed, we would read Where the Sidewalk Ends. The best book ever. The best book ever. I mean, our book is falling apart. We would just pick a poem at random. The kids would pick like three or four every night, both of them. And our book is literally like falling apart. And so was it your book from growing up or did you get a new copy? It was, it was mine from when I was little. And my son one night was like, for anyone that doesn't know that Shel Silverstein, he's the best, the best. He's just, it's just so whimsical and just so lighthearted. And the drawings. Yeah. And so my son was like, mom, you should make a real book. And I was like, I've always loved to write. I had a fashion blog so many years ago before like blogger or influencer was the term and writing was like one of my favorite parts of doing that. And so I was like, you know, maybe I'll just start writing down little things. And so all of the things that they would say throughout the day, which are so random and so funny, I would just take little notes and go back. And I started writing poems about all of the things that they would say or things that were happening in our lives. And I think I wrote the entire book in maybe like six months and then I illustrated it. And as I was writing it- beautiful, by the way, you did an incredible job with the illustration as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we're going to link to your book too, because it's such a treasure for, I think, for people with kids as well as, you know, adults to enjoy. Thank you. I had the best time writing it. And I really wanted to sort of incorporate cystic fibrosis with it. And so CF, there's a nickname, it's 65 Roses, which goes back many, many years. Basically, a little boy overheard his mom talking about his disease and he misunderstood what she was calling it. And he said he he called it 65 Roses. So as I was writing all of these poems, I was like, I wanted to write 65 of them. On the cover and on the back, I drew 65 Roses there's a poem for the disease. Mm -hmm. And then a part of the proceeds goes to the CF foundation because they're actually very close to finding a cure. And there's been some amazing breakthroughs uh, recently for about 90% of the population of of people with CF. There is a new drug that kind of just stops the disease where it is and limits it from progressing. And Unfortunately, I don't fall into the category of people who can take it. My mutation is in the remaining 10% of people that this drug does not help, but it's incredible the amount of people that it does help. And it's done wonders for a lot of people and they are going to continue until everybody has something like this. So they're very close to helping to stop CF and they're very close to a cure. And so like I said, I was so private about my disease, but then I realized I was sort of suffering in silence. And, you know, somebody would hear me cough or they'd say, oh, are you sick? Or, or do you have allergies? And I was sort of like fibbing all the time. And then I was like, you know, I, I want to advocate for everybody else who is suffering like me. And I want people to know what CF is. And I want people to know what transplant is and understand the process. And you know, raise awareness or do my part, do whatever I can so that people aren't suffering in silence. And so that maybe there really is a cure one day. How common is CF in terms of the population? Do you have any statistics as far as percentages? It's pretty rare. It's only about like 30,000 people in the United States. Wow. But I don't know how many millions of people are carriers. I think it's like one and a half million. I could be wrong a lot of people are carriers of the mutation. So the way that somebody will have cystic fibrosis is if each parent is a carrier, carrier. then they have a 25% chance of having CF. And did they do that in terms of genetic testing when your mom was pregnant? No, because they had no indicator. Like I said, my sister didn't have it. They had never heard of CF. So neither of your parents were carriers. 
they both are carriers, oh, they but both, they didn't okay. know that. So my sister didn't have it. So until it wasn't until I was born and I had it, then they got tested and then they both found out that they both were carriers. But I was curious if now, you know, I know that obviously before you have children, that there are a lot of genetic testings Mm -hmm. that we have to go through. And I wonder if that has been added at this point. Yeah, Mm -hmm. people can do the genetic testing for CF, um, just like Down syndrome. I did IVF and I did genetic testing so that they didn't have, um, I just wanted to do everything to ensure that they were healthy. Was there any concern about you having children? You know, I know that you had children very young, but as far as from the advice of, you know, any of your doctors, was that something that they had said there was any concern about? At the time, no, because my lung function was high enough that Mm -hmm. I was, I was healthy. And really within the last five years, you know, it's just steadily gone down. But then in the last one to two years, it just, it dropped so quickly Prior to my transplant, the last time I did a, a lung function test, I was 17%. That's, that's all that I had. And then it actually was probably much less. Um, once I had the pneumothorax, you can't do the lung function test when you have a pneumo. So right before my transplant, I, I would imagine that it was probably a lot less than 17%. So that's what I was living off of. And before I was in the hospital, I was still walking around my house, lugging my big oxygen concentrator. It was like this big tank and we called him Frank. It was Frank the Tank. So the kids like, you know. It's a very different Frank the Tank than I've been referred to as. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so we tried to like make it not so scary for them. But yeah, I was still like walking around the house and cooking dinner and baking cookies and trying to make things special for them so that it wasn't so awful mm-hmm. because it was you know, it was getting pretty, pretty real. How do you do that, Lauren, in terms of, first of all, it seems like obviously you have such a good grasp on this and and this has just been a part of your life since the beginning. So this is just in terms of, I think there are stages that we all go through, through different things, obviously, you know, health on the extreme end, and we're all experiencing a wild card right now with what's going on with the pandemic and, Mm -hmm. you know, and then whether it's professional or relationship, et cetera, just like coming to terms and accepting things is such a hard pill to swallow sometimes. Right. And like, and I wonder for you, do you feel like, was there anything that you turned to in terms of, I don't know if you have a really strong faith or meditative practice or what has helped you to retain your strength through this, not only for yourself, but I know as a mom, it's so hard not to break down with the Mm-hmm. things that you're dealing with on your own, right? Because in a way you feel like you're always under the watchful eye of other people in this case right. for you, two other small people who are looking to you for a certain amount of strength. Right. And I wonder what have you found to be helpful for you on that journey? I've just, for my whole life, I've just tried to stay present and believe that everything, it sounds so corny sometimes, but I really do believe that everything happens for a reason and everything happens the way it's supposed to. And sometimes things are out of our control. So I try to be really honest with them, not scary honest, but just to teach them that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, for somebody like me or, or anybody, you just don't know. So you have to appreciate what we have now and appreciate your family, tell people you love them, check on the ones that you think about, because you might not always have tomorrow, or I'll get to it next week. You know, I really believe in doing something when you think of doing it and living life right now. And that doesn't mean that I don't plan for the future or think about everything. Because I feel like, especially every mom, I'm thinking about everything all the time. But I just try to really stay focused on where I am right now. And my husband, he has this phrase and it's, it's so true. He's always like, let's not get ahead of ourselves because you just, it could be so overwhelming. And it's like a ripple effect. If you just go, we call it, you know, going down the rabbit hole. And it's just really, really scary. If you think about everything all at the same time, it's just, I, I can't function that way. So I just always taught them and teach them to just appreciate what we have now. And The littlest thing, like being able to breathe, which so many people just take that for granted. I appreciate just 
the fact that I can breathe right now, like that I'm not focused on every second that it's difficult to breathe. Like I finally can breathe. So as hard as things are for anybody, even if you just focus on the littlest thing, I feel like that can get you through to the next step sometimes. And you just sometimes have to take it step by step, little by little. We cannot think about the things that's 10 steps away. I just have to think about what's here right in front of me right now and have faith that it's going to be okay. And it's really helped me. And I do think that it's actually really helped my kids. It feels so applicable to so many things too. Right. And I think that that's the beauty of that sentiment is just remembering, just taking that first step, just focusing on being present. And I think what has been the extraneous circumstance of 2020, which I can't imagine for you also, it's like what you were going through is hard enough. And then adding in the fear that so many people already feel with exposure and everything else during this time. At what point did you realize that you were going to have to be hospitalized? Because when we first were connected, you were in the hospital waiting for the transplant. Right. So right when like the pandemic happened, I mean, we took the kids out of school. It was like the next day. Their school didn't send out the full email until like three days after we were already like, okay, well, they're not going for the rest of the week because I can't risk it. Right. Of course. So we were all at home already. My husband is an RN, so he was already he wasn't going to go into work. And then the full warning was out like a couple of days later. And so that was like, you know, March. And so we had months of just being at home like everybody else and really, really isolating. But I feel like everybody was doing that at that time, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. really taking it seriously. You know, we wipe everything down that comes into the house. We don't eat anything that's not prepared by us. And then it was June 23rd that all of a sudden I had this pain, which I have come to realize what it is. It's an, it's a pneumothorax. And so I was like, Oh no. And a pneumothorax is something that's happening that that's the puncture that you were referring to the small hole in the lung. Yeah. You basically like pop an area of your lung. And so air is getting in or escaping. And so I had, I went and I got an x-ray and my doctor said, you need to come into the hospital. You have a pneumo. And so I was hoping at that time, like, okay, well, because I'd had one before, but I was only in the hospital for three weeks. It took about three weeks for it to heal. And you have to get a chest tube, which chest tubes are incredibly painful. They're just awful. And so, you know, I knew what I was going into. I had no idea really the extent that I had no clue that it wouldn't heal and that I'd be living in the hospital until I got a transplant. So where I had the pneumothorax, it was just in a really bad part of my lung, which essentially was like dead already. And so there was like no oxygen getting to it and it was just non-functioning. And so you take- And this manifests in you not actually being able to breathe, correct? Like in terms of you, it's, it's much more difficult for you to take actual breaths. Yeah. So, I mean, it was already very difficult for me to breathe. I was on oxygen, you know, I had an oxygen concentrator. And so it's really, really painful until you get a chest tube because the air is trapped in your lung. So I went into the hospital, I had a chest tube put in, and then over time we realized, well, this pneumo is not going to heal and I can't go home with a collapsed lung. It was just too risky for me to not be in the hospital due to the severity of, and you know, I was end stage cystic fibrosis. So it turned into weeks, which turned into months, which turned into, you know, three and a half months. And then I finally got the call that there was a match. And how long were you on the match list before you found a donor? By the time I got called, it was 11 and a half months. So when you're listed, most people, you wait at home or you're waiting, you're not waiting in the hospital. A lot of people do have to wait in the hospital. You get so sick that it's not safe to be at home. So there are people who wait in the hospital until they get their transplant. I never expected that to happen. Like I just never in my wildest dreams did I think that that was going to be my reality. So it was pretty devastating. And like I said, because of COVID to not have, not be able to have the kids come up, but also to not be able to be with my family. My, my parents have isolated. And so they're able to be, they were taking care of our kids while we were in the hospital, but my sister, she has three kids and she can't isolate the way we can. So I haven't seen her in person since March. My kids can't see their cousins. 
So all the things that would have made the time while we were gone a little bit easier because of COVID made it just so much harder. You know, they couldn't spend time with friends. They didn't have any distractions. They couldn't be with their cousins. You know, people couldn't come over to our house to be with them. I couldn't spend the time leading up to a transplant with family or friends. Usually people can come into the room or like right when you are about to go into your transplant, you're with all your family. And, you know, I didn't have that. It was, you know, thank, like I said, thankfully I was with my husband. Thankfully, your husband is also, you said, a RN. I mean, I, I think of, first of all, of anyone who has to have a man take care of you in any capacity when you're sick with a cold, it's limited at best. You know what I mean? Right. So for you to have someone who their profession is this is incredible. Yes. And just also a, a so much better understanding of it and actual ability to give you proper care. Yeah, I feel really, That's really like lucky. a huge blessing. But I, I'm sure for a mom too, I had read something about how after having kids that a, a lot of, you know, moms deal with something called postpartum depletion. And I think anyone as a mother knows that you like you said, even as much as you're trying to be present are always thinking ahead as far as your kids go. There's so many things to prepare for. And I can't imagine how you must have felt not only being isolated in the hospital, but knowing that you're not there. I mean, luckily they were in the care of your parents, Mm -hmm. right? But I just feel, especially as moms, that we are less inclined to be kind to ourselves and give ourselves a break in any of these moments. It's so hard to remember to take care of yourself, period. And then to feel like you're away for three months, I'm sure that must have driven you crazy inside. It did because I'm really hands-on from the time that they were born. You know, I just, I love to do everything and I try to be really creative with them and I love doing things around the house and I love making things special. And so to not be able to do any of that and to not be home and to not make their food and all of that, I really had to just, I had to just let go because there was nothing I could do. And I knew they were in good hands and I knew that I was going to make myself sicker if all I did was focus on the mom guilt and not being home. So yeah, luckily they were with my mom and my dad and I have an amazing family and amazing support system because it was really difficult. And, you know, I think so often moms are, like you said, we're not kind to ourselves and I just felt so awful. And on top of the fact that you're physically there for damaged lungs, you know, then you're beating Mm -hmm. yourself up emotionally because you feel like, you know, you're missing out on something. So that's, that's the craziness of what we do to ourselves sometimes. Yeah. So when it was my daughter's birthday, I got her, you know, the flower cake um, with the the explosion cake. The one from New York. Yeah. With like the sprinkles in it. Um, And I just wanted to make it as special as possible, which, you know, I felt awful because she couldn't even blow out a candle because we're at the hospital, Mm -hmm. but we did it outside and we brought a cutting board and, you know, she loved it, but I usually, I decorate their rooms and I decorate the house so that when they wake up, it's always a different theme. And so my mom did it for me. I got all this stuff, but it was Lauren, I want you to come over and do some of this stuff for my kids (laughs) because I feel like they're really missing out all of a sudden. You're like, it's a different theme. And I was like, I did get them a cake. (laughs) I love it. But like, so my son just had his 12th birthday. And so I'm so grateful that I was home, but I'm still, I still feel horrible that I was gone for my daughter's birthday. So, you know, try to do a couple things since I've been home for her and, you know, they're not asking me for it. I'm doing it, you know, because I just, I don't know, you know, moms, I guess. Yeah. And as women and humans, we're not always the kindest to ourselves and then add right. the mom guilt. And one thing that we sometimes talk about is taking victories in your life. And I think like you said, you're especially attuned and sort of aware of your blessings and of just being present. And for you to put it in perspective and say, I'm grateful to be able to breathe clearly, obviously Mm -hmm. diminishes so many of the things that we blow out of perspective every single day. But I wonder, do you check in with yourself to kind of, you know, to have gratitude for all the things that you have been able to accomplish in your life? Or are you kind of like on to the next? Oh, no, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. I've even though I've had a very difficult path with my health, I'm extremely fortunate in so many other areas of my life. So I have a lot of gratitude for 
so much. And I've always thought that as bad as things can seem at some point for whoever, it could always be worse. And so I don't want to just wallow in like a pity party. So I try not to focus on how awful it is. Last weekend, we we drove up to Joshua Tree for the day and it was a new moon. So we really wanted to see the stars and we just like hiked and we haven't been able to do stuff like that for probably over a year. It must have felt incredible for you to be hiking. It was incredible. And I couldn't believe that five weeks after my double lung transplant that I was hiking up these huge rocks, my kids playing in the background. And I just sort of sat down for a little while in the sun and just cried tears of happiness because I'm so grateful. And I was really thinking about my donor and you know his family and in their time of immense despair and grief and sadness, they made a decision that changed my life, my family's life and who else, you know, if he donated his organs to anybody else, he changed a number of people's lives. And I'm incredibly grateful. A lot of people prayed for that. And so their decision had such an impact. And, you know, I really want to raise awareness also for organ donation. I was about to say that it really puts into perspective because it's one of those things that, you know, I remember seeing on people's driver's license or not, you know, and it Mm -hmm. seems like something that you don't really give a lot of thought to until you hear the flip side of the coin, you know, like you're sharing that suddenly you are literally hiking in Joshua Tree and suddenly have a renewed sense of life through being able to breathe clearly And this is something that, you know, the match may have been able to come sooner had more people signed up to do this too. So Mm -hmm. that's just a good reminder that that's something that in a way, when you think about it, why wouldn't you Mm -hmm. do that? And to give other people something that they so desperately need to prolong their life or to increase their ability to have a healthy life feels like such a a no-brainer. I've received many messages of people who have said that they became an organ donor because of me. And that means so much to me. I can't even put it into words when I hear things like that. It's really incredible. And so, like I said, if I can spread my story or my message or my journey to help others, then I really want to do what I can. And I I think that the more people who become organ donors, the more people who talk about it, I really think that being an organ donor should be mandatory and that, you know, really easy to opt out if you, you know, choose to for religious reasons or any other reason. But I just think that when you become a driver, I think that it should be automatic until you really research it or know, you don't realize what an impact it can have. And it's the most selfless gift and, you know, just an incredible thing to do for other people. Yeah, I I actually donate blood through Children's Hospital and I recently had donated platelets because I was a match for someone who I had just, it all seemed so serendipitous. I got an alert through the Nextdoor app, which I don't really ever get. And I just like happened to be looking at this email and it popped up and it was my same blood type. And I was just like, why would I not? And when I was there donating platelets, the tech asked, you know, the mother of the boy actually wants to come and speak with you. Is that okay? And I was like, oh my God, of course, you know, right. but obviously, first of all, I can't go anywhere because you guys have got me down here taking my platelets. But <laughs> right. also I was like beyond, you know, and she came and it was, we actually had a language barrier, but just the incredible emotional exchange mm-hmm. with someone, even without being able to speak the same language, mm-hmm. knowing that it was the least that I could do and that it would mean the most to this person, you know, and that they needed it so badly. Yeah. I have to agree with you. You know, I think that everybody should, it's life changing. Also, if you donate one bag of blood or, you know, and I'm sure there's people who are squirmish and maybe this seems scary, but it's really not like if I can do it, literally anybody could do it (laughs) at children's LA, they get it all through donations. So it's not having to go through the Red Cross. Blood can cost like a ton of money and, you know, be prohibitive for some people and that you can help, I think, two newborn babies with just one donation of blood. So just a reminder that some of these things are very impactful and very easy for us to do. So what did you do to stay creative while you were in the hospital? Because it 
you strike me as someone who is always creating or doing something. So I wonder how did you keep yourself busy? And I wrote, I'm going to write a second book. So amazing. I, I worked on more poems. I don't know if it's going to be another book for kids or, you know, geared more towards kids, but I wrote a bunch of poems for just kind of what I was going through and my view and, and things that I was feeling. And then I also started embroidering, which really passed the time. And I made a lot of pieces and I'm totally obsessed with it now that I'm home and I need to start doing it again. But it really, it helped because it was like the days were so long yet really fast at the same time. And it was just everything just started blending together. So we'd watch movies with my husband and I watched the full show of uh, Game of Thrones. We had never watched any of it. And I'm so, so obsessed good. With it now. It's mm-hmm. so good. I was so sad when it was over. I know. But yeah, I was, or I would color, but mostly I was just writing and doing embroidery. That's amazing. So when do you think that you will release that next book? In 2021, I have a number of things I'm working on that I'm really excited about for next year. There's a lot of things that I'm really passionate about. I love to cook. I've been cooking with my mom since I was really little and like making up recipes when I was, I would just stand beside her and make up like salad dressing recipes. And so I love cooking and baking and I'm still obsessed with fashion. I love doing anything with fashion. I had my clothing line for five years. I was 18 when I started it and I got really burnt out because I was doing the business side and the creating side. Right. Which is always at odds. Yeah. And then took time off, which I thought was going to be like a little bit of time off, but it was when I was having, when I had my children. And then I don't know, it just sort of merged into to writing. And so there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm really excited for now. Like now that I feel like myself again, I'm excited for what's to come in 2021. Lauren, with a double lung transplant, as far as cystic fibrosis and the puncture in your lung that you had talked about, is this sort of like a reset? Is it a fresh start? Yeah. I'm not cured. You know, I still have cystic fibrosis. And I think that sometimes people misunderstand that when you get a transplant that, you know, all of a sudden you don't have CF. I do. I still have CF, you know, everywhere else in my body. It's just that I have fresh lungs. So my lungs are healthy and I can breathe just like anybody else. But I have to be really careful. I'm, you know, immunosuppressed for the rest of my life now. I take anti-rejection meds for the rest of my life. You know, there's a lot that goes with a transplant. It's not just, okay, you've had a transplant and like- Right, and now, and now everything's totally fine. Totally normal, yeah. So- Well, also just the physicality of it. I mean, I was shocked, you know, because Lauren and I had been in some form of communication when she was in the hospital and then they found a match and then we were scheduling this and even just the physicality of then you mentioning that you were hiking in Mm -hmm. Joshua Tree, your body has been through tremendous- trauma, right? And surgery. And I'm sure a double lung transplant is not a outpatient affair. Oh, no, it's it's massive. And, you know, I kind of forget that sometimes. I, I don't know. I like to do a lot at home. So my goal when I was in the hospital, Halloween is my favorite holiday. And so my goal was to be home by Halloween. And when I got the call that there was a match, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be home before Halloween. And a lot of times there's a, there's complications and people are in the hospital for a long time after their transplant. But a lot of times you can be home within two weeks. And so I was like, that I'm doing it. There was like no questions asked. I wanted to be home. And when you have your transplant, you are on a ventilator for you know the, the next day. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you are extubated, within like 12 hours, they want you up and walking. So I was up and walking and it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. Well, coming off of the ventilator is probably the worst thing. And so when I hear people say that they'd rather be on a ventilator than wear a mask right now, I just cringe because they have no idea what they're saying. It's so awful to be on a ventilator and aware that you're on a ventilator and to try to fight to come off of it. It's excruciating. And I had to do it once before. Less than a year ago, I had a ruptured appendix and nobody knew how awful it was until they went in and did the surgery. Um, And I wound up on a ventilator for two days and it was awful for my family. And I didn't know what was going on, obviously, until I woke up. So I've had to fight to come off of a ventilator twice now. And I can tell you that there is nothing worse. Well, it must make you just insane, obviously, right now with everybody and what is it, their body, their choice about wearing masks. It just is. It's 
idiocy. I almost, I have to remove myself from conversations like that because it's, it's just, I almost feel bad for them because they don't know what they're saying. So after I got off the ventilator, which it took me about 45 minutes to get off of the ventilator. And I've heard people who it's taken them like six hours. And I honestly cannot, I can't even imagine that because to be aware that you're on a ventilator for that long just sounds beyond excruciating. So I got off of the ventilator and then like 12 hours later, I was up and walking a lap around the ICU. Planning your Halloween. You got to start using the lungs. They want you expanding them and using them and you know, you're up and you're, and every day you have to do multiple laps around the ICU. And I think I was in the ICU for about five days. And then I went to a regular room and I had four massive chest tubes. Two came out right away and then two remained for about two weeks. And they were so, they're so painful. They're more painful than the actual incision. They are just, especially I'm really petite. And so a massive chest tube that is like, between your ribs. Um, It's just, it's incredibly difficult. So, but once those came out, I was ready to go home. So I went home two weeks to the day after my transplant. Within like that first week, it was Halloween and we decorated and we had like this huge Halloween, just us. And it was so much fun. And I, but my family had to remind me a couple of times, like, Lauren, you need to slow down. Take it easy. Yeah. You just had a transplant. It hasn't even been a week or two weeks. And I just, I'm just so excited because I'm like living again. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to be home. I know a lot of people are going stir crazy and I totally get it. But, you know, everybody should do their part. You're safe at home. And if you can, I think that everybody should be trying to help COVID. And so that really we can go back to normal and so that people who are immunosuppressed or people who have pre-existing conditions don't need to live in fear that they can right. never leave their house again. A hundred percent agree. I know that you, you know, have had a different journey than so many people, obviously. And, and each day is so poignantly a gift for you. And I think that we could all aim to be more present and to have a little bit more of that in our lives, even understanding what someone like you has gone through. I know we talked about it earlier, you know, in terms of the idea of having it all. And I ask that sometimes rhetorically because what having it all looks like to me is different than looks like to you is different Mm -hmm. than looks like to, you know, and also I think often we're fed this idea of, oh, you got to have it all. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Does that exist? But I wonder for you today, having, you know, a little bit of a new lease on life and these new lungs and from where you sit, what does the idea of having it all look like to you today? Just to enjoy what I have, enjoy being with my family, enjoying the ability to breathe and not be consumed with how awful I feel or not being able to breathe. Just really enjoying what I have right now because I didn't know if I was going to have this. I didn't know if I was ever going to be home. You know, it was a really scary thought to think that not only do I not get to spend the time with my kids and my family leading up to the biggest thing that you could sort of go through, but I really didn't know if I would ever get home again. And so I feel like having it all right now is just this. I feel like I do. I have it all. My kids are healthy. They're happy. I have an amazing supportive family. And I mean, I'm just appreciating what I have right now. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Here's a few silly questions for you on a on a much different, lighter note. But something called the Riff is it could be a practice or a service or a product that you use on the daily that makes life more efficient or smoother for you or better or more beautiful. What's something that you like? I would say right now, probably Instacart because we can't go to the grocery store. True that. And we cook all the time. Yeah, I I don't know what we would do without Instacart right now because it's a lifesaver. And, you know, all of those um, like foods, uh, delivery services or like, you know, subscriptions, because we we really do need to isolate. So the extent of going out right now is my weekly doctor visits. And, you know, that's enough. It's enough exposure for us. So to be able to not have to go to the grocery store, it is truly like it's saved our lives for all of these months. Beyond. We talk about having it all, but is there anything that you've had enough of? I've had enough of people 
thinking that wearing a mask is politics and I don't want to hear it anymore. I just yeah. want people to understand what it means just to to stop the spread of germs. It's really nothing more than that. It's such an easy thing, you know, for them to participate in and has such a huge and tremendous impact. Mm-hmm. It's like, why would you not? Okay. Uh, and other lies. Are there any occasion on which you think it's okay to lie? Like with my kids, like I said, I've been really honest with them, but I'm not going to, like, I don't want to make them terrified. I don't need to tell them the full extent of everything. Um, So I feel like when you are sparing your children or somebody from pain and worry, my son is the biggest worrier. So I will be honest with them, but maybe leave a couple of things out. Just the power of omission. Right. Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I I appreciate all your honesty and candor and you being so open with us and also advocating for more awareness for not only cystic fibrosis, but organ donation and everything that we can possibly do to help each other out. And I think that that's been one of the big kind of learning takeaways from 2020 is that we are all so much more connected than we think. And we need to collectively do everything we can in our power to help each other. And, you know, even within our communities and outside of our communities is that we need to help each other out for health and, mm-hmm. and every reason. Thank you so much for having me. I really of appreciate course. it. So where can they order your book, The Sky Cracked Open? It's available on my website, theskycrackedopen.com. And where can we find you? My Instagram is a hippie's daughter. Are you a hippie's daughter? I am. So my both of my parents were hippies. My mom went to Woodstock and I just love listening to her stories because when she went, she had no idea the impact and like the magnitude of what she was going to. Both of my parents just have the coolest stories of their lives. They were friends with Andy Warhol. And so just like listening to their stories. Very cool. So fascinating to me. Well, your your family sounds amazing. They sound really supportive and also they're, like they've had their own very cool upbringing. They're incredibly supportive. And I honestly do not know what we would do without them. And they also raised my sister and I to just always have a voice and to be our own person and to have a sense of self. So they feel very fortunate. Uh, I love that. Well, I can't wait to follow along and see all that you're experiencing with this new set of lungs. And and I just wish you so much love and luck and, and good health. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of Having It All and Other Lies. I've been having so much fun talking to and learning from all these amazing women, and I hope you're enjoying it too. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and also follow along at Having It All Podcast and swing on over to my page at Sarah underscore Riff. I love hearing from you guys, so please keep up the DMs and emails. And if there's anyone that you want to hear from, let us know. In the meantime, we will look forward to seeing you next week.